Five minutes it is after 8 p.m. We go straight into our community focus uh, this evening and we start off Pa uh, Ekabecha. Yeah, where they call, I guess, some of the brews that are produced there. Try Dap. Uh, but yeah, but he Dap. I don't know what uh, what they call it in your neighborhood. They might call it Skokian or Imbamba. Uh, yeah, I once uh, learned that the word Imbamba had come from Barberton. Uh, because in Barberton, Abba apparently were very jicha. They used to make some of the strongest uh, brew uh, with the strongest kick. And I guess that's where the name of um, Bamba or the colloquial use of Barberton uh, to refer to uh, some of these uh, toxic brews uh, initially came from. But we shift away from, uh, I guess, um, many of those thirsty conversations. And uh, we shift our attention now to uh, the e-hailing sector out in Kabecha, uh, where many of the operators disrupted traffic on the N2 uh, as they protested against ongoing violence directed at them by uh, allegedly the minibus taxi industry. Uh, now, it's alleged that taxi operators are unhappy with e-hailing operators working in certain areas, saying that they're stealing their customers. SABC reporter Kim Daniels was on the end too, and uh, this is what she brought back for us. Yo! Yeah, hey, uh, that story coming out. And uh, you'd know, of course, we've been following quite closely the latest developments in that space. And many ride-hailing drivers uh, from Klebecha have called into our show and uh, spoken to us about this particular matter. Uh, you might be in that space and also out in Klebecha, or you might have been affected uh, by that pile-up of vehicles. Uh, I understand, uh, I'm not sure, is that on Cape Road? Uh, that uh, road that, I guess, is uh, leading out to uh, Cape Town, uh, stand to be corrected. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear from you. Uh, do send us your WhatsApp voice notes on 079-191-4270, 079-191-4270. We shift our attention now uh, to uh, Lesotho, where the uh, Minister of Home Affairs, Mutalen uh, Tualetsosa, is collaborating with the South African Taxi Associations, Home Affairs and the South African Police Service to boost a campaign here. Uh, which is aimed at dealing with uh, human trafficking. Now, the minister says uh, that there's been a spike in young girls being trafficked as sex slaves uh, from Lesotho, and young men are equally vulnerable uh, to being, uh, I guess, kidnapped and trafficked uh, into illegal mining activities out in the Free State Province in places like uh, Valcom. My colleague here at the SABC, uh, Rapelang Khatebe, uh, put this together. Yeah, interesting story. They're coming out of uh, Lesotho. And uh, this is the kind of collaboration that we need, certainly on many of the cross-border uh, or issues that have cross-border implications. And uh, one of those is, of course, uh, uh, many of the artisanal mining activities uh, that uh, are, are deemed illegal in both, par- in both countries. And uh, yeah, it might uh, be worth, I guess, following up on that particular story. But uh, we uh, end things off in our community focus this evening. And Ululu, in this case, is South African Airways. And uh, we saw Sisbeto Bekula Pana and uh, yeah, taking to the skies today after over a year of uh, being grounded. And uh, the relaunch flight to Cape Town took off shortly after 8 a.m. this morning from Oartambo. A momentous occasion, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, the new SAA rising like a phoenix from the ashes. And maybe yeah, I'm overdoing it there. But uh, yeah, still to be seen uh, whether or not uh, this uh, will be. Uh, like SAA Simazi Okanya is going to be a new kettle of fish altogether. Uh, my colleague here at the SABC, Diabo Sito, uh, spoke to a chief financial officer, Figile uh, Mshonto, uh, and uh, Captain Mpoma Mashila, and many others uh, who are also celebrating the return of SAA to the skies. 
It is indeed, and uh, 13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, yeah, this evening, uh, as our thought leader, we're joined by Professor Heinrich Willemse. He's a professor in the Department of Afrikaans at the University of Pretoria. Uh, he's an academic, a literary critic, an activist, and an author, and uh, currently editor-in-chief of Tijdskrift voor Letterkunde. And uh, yeah, somebody who's uh, going to join us this evening. Uh, to uh, give us not only just the history of the language of Afrikaans, but uh, I guess, uh, yeah, some of the complicating and contradictory uh, tensions that, uh, you know, the history of Afrikaans gives rise to, uh, which sometimes aren't, uh, I guess, uh, what we might see at face value. Uh, certainly, you know, I would know that coming from a generation that, I guess, in some phases has rejected the language and uh, even our parents' generation rejected it as well uh, when they were in high school in the late 70s. Um, so... I guess it's a it's a very interesting language because in many ways, you know, even the type of uh, Isakosa that I would speak uh, has many, many Afrikaans influences. There are many words that have been borrowed explicitly from uh, the language of Afrikaans and interactions with many Afrikaans speaking groups. And similarly, the language of Afrikaans has also not been spared of uh, being influenced and changed in very particular ways by African languages and even uh, languages like Malay. Uh, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, interesting. Uh, one year had an opportunity to go to Indonesia uh, and uh, to uh, hear very interesting, you know, anecdotes from people in that part of the world of how, you know, the experiences of Dutch colonialism in the Cape and uh, in that part of the world uh, led to uh, not only experiences of slavery, but the infusion of uh, certain histories uh, into uh, the history of the Creole language that Afrikaans would later become. Uh, Prof. Good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga. Uh, I certainly, you know, I wish, I wish my Afrikaans was um, savor enough, uh, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to battle along. I probably speak more Tsotsital than maybe uh, the right type of Afrikaans. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe before we get into the thick of our discussions this evening, I mean, you have a very colorful history as a language activist, but also a political activist uh, in the space. Uh, talk to us just briefly about that, and I guess how the language of Afrikaans was also, you know, a stage for political struggle and contestation. Uh, many in my generation probably wouldn't be familiar with that. Yes, mm. the conditions, uh, the situations, and so forth. Yeah. Prof, um, Prof, I'd like you to just hold the line there for me for a second. We're hearing you very, very faintly. Uh, so we think let's maybe just call you back again so that we can try and reestablish our connection with you and uh, we'll continue okay. our conversation on the other side of that. 22 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to our Thought Leader Thursday segment here on Metro FM Talk. Uh, this evening we unpack uh, the history and, of course, uh, the contemporary contradictions within the language of uh, Afrikaans. Professor Heinrich Willemse, uh, professor in the Department of Afrikaans at uh, the University of Pretoria, is my guest this evening. Prof, I certainly hope we have you on a much better line. I hope so, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, it sounds a lot better. Uh, so, Prof, yes. you were still, I guess, unpacking for us, you know, uh, many of the tensions in your own early journey as an activist yes. uh, and also, I guess, in your own, uh, you know, journey of learning as well. Uh, but I want us maybe to take a step back and unpack some of the many different, at times, divergent influences that uh, mm. uh, served as early influences in the development of Afrikaans as a creolized form of uh, Dutch, according to many people, uh, but also, I guess, some of the other more subaltern influences, if I can say that, from African communities uh, and even slave communities in the Cape as well. Yes, yeah. feeder colony for, mm. for slaves. Uh, uh, 
people from what we today know as as, as Kenya and Tanzania and, and parts of Somalia and Ethiopia, they were imported to Africa. The first slaves who arrived here were from from uh, West Africa, Guinea. Uh, so they also arrived at the Cape. Uh, and uh, then you had the the Malay influence of slaves who, in a ver- in a variety of um, uh, a number of um, uh, Malay, uh, on the one hand, noblemen, uh, political pri- uh, uh, political prisoners, uh, slaves, and so forth. So, so there was quite a number of of categories of people who were imported from Southeast Asia that came to to the Cape, mm. and all of them brought their languages, brought their cultures, sure. and so forth. And that eventually developed into what we today call, call mm. Afrikaans. So the Afrikaans that developed at the Cape was initially called uh, Cape Dutch. And um, towards the beginning of the 20th century, uh, it became Afrikaans. It was initially called Africa, uh, without, the K, uh, without, without the N at the end. Uh, and then it became Afrikaans, uh, named after the continent of Africa. Mm. Uh, and um, so that's the, the one language that bears the, the name of, of the continent itself. Mm. Afri- Af- uh, Afrikaans, if you, if, if you translate that into English, would have been, or should be African. Mm. That is, that is, that's the... Yeah, that's the so correct uh, translation of it. Somebody once once uh, asked me if if uh, I speak African, um, you know, in in the Netherlands, and I, I was quite confused about what they meant. And then, yeah, you know, they kind of they, explained, they, like, yeah, well, they would, they, you know, Afrikaans, they, Afrikaans they were directly yeah. translating it, I guess, from uh, you know, from their from their language. But maybe just yes. prof, as, as we wrap up, there's there's something quite interesting for me that uh, I like. I want you to help us with. If there's so many black people. And when I say black, I mean, you know, African people, colored people and Indian or people mm. of Indian descent. If there are so many black people more, you know, as Afrikaans speakers than maybe, mm. uh, you know, white Afrikaans speakers. How do yes. we wrestle this language away from the hold that, uh, you know, very narrow Afrikaner nationalism has had over it? And I want to use maybe just an example of, you know, one of um, you know, the former students of the university you're part of, uh, who was part of the Afrikaans Must Fall protests a few years ago. Uh, mm. You know, and uh, I know him quite well, Sam Kajiwe. Uh, and I know Sam because he'd gone to an African school, I think, for mo- all of his life. Um, and, mm. you know, he'd always say to us that actually, you know, my fight isn't with Afrikaans as a language, but I guess with the embedded, you know, uh, Afrikaner nationalism and its use mm. as an instrument for particular expressions of power by a particular type of grouping uh, in mm. academia, in many of our historically Afrikaans universities. How do we how do we grapple with that? How do we harmonize those two positions, uh, and in a way, you know, rescue Africans from the grip of, I guess, yeah, the project of Heron folkism or Afrikaner nationalism? Yeah, I, I, uh, and it's on in a certain sense on its on its last legs. Mm. It's reinventing itself in a different form, but that should not be where we are. Mm. Do you think that we, uh, the latest UNISA moment is a? Indicative of that reinvention. I mean, the, the issues around Afriforum and uh, all of that. Well, I mean, Afriforum. I mean, they've got their own. I mean, there's there's a lot to 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 be said uh, about Afri, as broadly speaking, uh, I think South Africans that 
uh, we want to be separate from other South mm. Africans. We don't want to proclaim our cultural identity above and beyond as a supreme prima identity, uh, uh, you know, against others. Mm. Uh, so, so we need to, we need to, as a society, decide where we want to be. But as Afrikaans speakers, for instance, myself, that's when I, that's why I'm speaking as an Afrikaans speaker. Mm. I have very little to say about about Afrikaner nationalists or new nationalists. Even I would, I would, uh, in my my own uh, experience, uh, they Afrikaner nationalists of the old old sort, old old category. Are very are very small. I don't think they even exist. Uh, and what we have is a reinvention, in a certain sense, of African nationalism. But for instance, if you ask me whether they threaten the state, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think that is that is uh, you know going to threaten the the state itself. Do they threaten Africans? I think they are, they are greatest threat to to the to the the future of Afrikaans than, for instance, the the INC government is, uh, uh, simply because they um, impact in a particular way uh, on on uh, on views about 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 Afrikaans, mm. and and I mean that's that that again there might be mm. uh, a small you know. Uh, Groups of them associated with our free forum, but they not they not big and they not particularly influential. Mm. In the north, northern parts of the country, they seem to be particularly um, uh, uh, loud and present, and uh, uh, you know they make the news. But I think we need to one need as I said, well, I think one needs to be uh, understand this in relative terms mm. rather than absolute terms. Yeah. Prof, we're going to have to leave it there. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to us and uh, sharing uh, your insights uh, with us. Uh, very, very valuable contribution that you've given us. And uh, I want to thank you for taking time out and being so generous with your time this evening. Thank you, Abonga. That there is uh, 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 Professor Heinrich Willems uh, speaking to us uh, from the University of uh, Pretoria. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he was our thought leader on this Thursday. He's an academic, a literary critic, Activist, uh, author, editor-in-chief of the African Literary Journal, dates Griff for Letterkunde. And uh, yeah, saying, hey, maybe we're the ones who are talking up uh, uh, African nationalism or the resurgence of it. Uh, he certainly doesn't see it as uh, a material or operative factor in our uh, uh, evolving political situation. What are some of your thoughts? Uh, share those with us on our WhatsApp line. You can send us your voice notes on uh, 079-191-4270. And uh, we take a brief break now. When we come back, we'll take a listen to those. 18 minutes it is uh, uh, before 9 p.m. In the next few minutes or so, we'll check in with uh, Rand Water. Many of you expressing some concerns around uh, the curtailing of water supplies over the last while. But before we go there, let's just take uh, some remarks uh, from Ukambu uh, Mamela uh, out in Cape Town. Mamela, you want to uh, chip in on this uh, question of Afrikaans? Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, Ayabonga, and, and thank you for, for this uh, important program. Ayabonga, I want to firstly, you know, uh, uh, appreciate uh, for bringing Prof. Lem to give us this very rich uh, thing, and it was very uh, uh, important. Mm. But I, I, I also want to make a, a, a disclaimer that indeed I'm not like uh, the prof uh, language uh, activist 
and I also have not had enough time to read the judgment on the UNISA case. Okay, sure. But I want to contribute um, mm. as an end user of the language because yes. I think this, this thing of language is very important, especially as we talk uh, the heritage uh, uh, about heritage. Mm. Now, the, now, now, I uh, you 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 understand that you know Africans as a as a language in the main has always been used by Afrikaner people only, and and we are aware that Afrikaner people are the ones who were in the forefront of driving the apartheid against uh, black black people in general and and and, and Africans in particular. Now you, you get a sense that that there is no separation on us fighting apartheid as a system vis-a-vis fighting Africans as a language. Now, Kasiba, on your introduction, you, you, you yourself you, you you correctly mentioned that Africans is one of the youngest languages. The world, However, yeah. mm-hmm. I want to add to say Africans is not only young but it's also one of the most developed languages in the country. Mm. Now, what, what does that mean? Now, the critics of Africans as a language, we, we, we will argue that Africans was developed as a result of the apartheid system. Yes. Yes. However, there, there is something that, you know, and of course it was at the expense of the indigenous language because yes. the, 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 the separate development system was only favors those who were in power mm. and by default those were Afri- Afrikaners. Now, now I have, it's public knowledge that apartheid system was brutal and it was evil. Now, that's what uh, 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 people like Chris and, and many others, mm. including the generation of 76, fought So, Kambu, Kambu, Mamel, I think the point you're raising is a critical one, that it is political power and the use of political power that has created language you know, Africans into a one developed language, but also two yes. has created yes. this perception that Africans or particular types of Africans, because it's what's Italian, Africans now, Africans, Africans now, but I think the one that is safer Africans, which is the one Afriforum is fighting for at UNISA, fighting for in many of the universities and even in public spaces, is fighting in defense of what they had used their power to protect as a language. And I think the prof was saying that's the one that we need to defeat. Not necessarily the language, but I think the political intent behind the people who are trying to push for the defense of the language. Yes, yes, yes. No, that, that, is, that is very correct. But also you'll check on the inside case that that's what the African Forum went to court for. Mm. And I'm saying it, 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 it is incorrect sure, for UNISA sure. to want no, to remove Africans. I think that's fine. Instead, I, th- yes. I think so, Vagel, Vagel and Memela, that it's... Uh, uh, incorrect for them to take that approach and uh, we're going to have to maybe curtail it there somewhat. Uh, uh, but uh, I think the point is well made uh, that uh, hey, these things are contradictory. There are many tensions uh, at play here and uh, thank you very much uh, for that call there. Tembelanu uh, Kambu uh, they're calling us uh, on that particular score. Let's take a l- listen at some of your voice notes. Among us, on various hey, things I to speak up. Uh, oh, <laughs> word. Um, I went... Hey, Okambu. Yeah, that's uh, the other Gambu uh, who's joining us uh, from uh, Cape Town. And as I said, it's the Gambu show tomight. As But uh, I think that point is well made. I think uh, making a similar point there that uh, you can't really expunge in uh, you know, a very distinctual type way uh, African nationalism from uh, the exercise of political power using the language of uh, Afrikaans. A very interesting conversation. But uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we now shift our attention 
to a discussion uh, with uh, uh, Rand Water, joined on the line now by Greg Mulchak. And uh, yeah, South Africa, one of the water scarce, con- one of the most water scarce countries in the world, and uh, uh, one of the largest utilities on the continent, Rand Water, uh, which has been around for over a hundred years. Uh, is going to join us this evening to talk about uh, water con- conservation and water demand management. And I'm joined by uh, Rand Water spokesperson Greg Mulchak. Greg, good evening and welcome. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, Greg, let's maybe start off here. Um, you guys have recently announced some uh, water curtailments as part of your demand management programs. Uh, why was this necessary? And uh, more importantly, just maybe unpack for us, for many of the listeners uh, who are here in Gauteng, what uh, uh, this is all about. I yes, let's go there. Let's uh, let's go there, Craig. Well, maybe just I guess the the implication that this will have, uh, because maybe consumers might be saying, "Yeah, we understand the scarcity you're dealing with and some of the challenges," uh, but uh, yeah, what is this going to mean for my own household consumption? I want us to pause here for a second, uh, Greg, and uh, take a quick spot break. But when we come back, uh, let's just talk briefly about many of the high-lying uh, places in Gauteng that have certainly had some challenges. Uh, in uh, you know getting the adequate pressure to pump water to those places, sure. uh, which uh, comes at a considerable energy cost, and I'm quite interested in some of the plans from a, a I guess the energy transition perspective around how we're going to be able to deal with that uh, from a rand water perspective. We'll take a brief break now and continue with Greg Molchak after this. We're in discussion this evening with the 118-year-old Rand Water, uh, one of Africa's largest water utilities, and uh, talking about some of the challenges that they're facing and, uh, and more importantly, I guess, uh, the implications that that's going to have on some of your own water requirements uh, at a household level. And Greg Mulchak, Rand Water spokesperson, is my guest. Greg, you guys have to pump up a considerable amount of water to high-lying areas, uh, which uh, sometimes might have some challenges in uh, not having water coming out of the taps, and uh, this comes at a considerable cost energy-wise. Have you considered any investments, I guess, in alternative and renewable forms of energy uh, or even more cost-effective or cost-competitive forms of uh, energy uh, to meet water demand in many high-lying areas? Oh, yes. Yeah. Just talk to me briefly, I guess, about uh, some of the challenges you're faced with. I mean... uh, um, you know, constraints around uh, the raw water supplies or bulk water supplies from the Val Dam. Uh, what are some of the other, I guess, alternatives that you're putting in place while that uh, project comes back to life uh, by way of bulk water supplies uh, to augment some of your more traditional sources? Well, you know, Ayabonga, you're raising, you know, some really important... When the next rains will come, mm, mm, uh, the mm. volume of the rains that will come. Sure. So there's all those other factors that we have to consider. Yeah. And in yeah. any case... The government is monitoring how much water we take out of the dam, mm. and already we are taking more than what we are we licensed for Greg? in order to meet the needs of, of, of consumers. Greg, in the last 30 seconds we have, we've run out of time. I'm interested also on the conservation side of things. What are we doing in terms of uh, containing leaks in our aging infrastructure in some cases, and also, I guess, the last one, dealing with alien plant species that uh, yeah drink up a considerable amount of our water? Well, briefly, 